As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Well, I know you're not clapping for me. You're clapping because you're glad to be at church today. Aren't we grateful for the worship today? And I know we're eager to dive into God's Word. So good to see each and every one of you joining us online. Welcome. Uh, We're so glad that you're streaming with us uh, today. Well, I am in my hand. I am holding a jar of awesomeness. Anyone know what is in my jar of awesomeness? My jar of awesomeness is this. It's the essential ingredients for chocolate chip cookies. It doesn't get more awesome than this. Do you know what the essential ingredients are for chocolate chip cookies? I did not know this yesterday, but my wife helped pack this jar for me. She did an amazing job. Do you know what would be the essential ingredients in chocolate chip cookies? Well, first you got brown sugar, and then you got sugar, then you have chocolate chips. Chocolate chips, of course, are essential ingredients in chocolate chip cookies. Then you have flour, you have baking powder, you have baking soda, all of that in this jar of awesomeness. All you need to do is add an egg and add some butter and add some vanilla, and you got chocolate chip cookies. Anybody hungry right now? Too bad we don't have an oven and uh, some uh, cookie platters to be able to put into the oven, but these are the essential ingredients in chocolate chip cookies. What we're going to be talking about today is sharing the essentials of the gospel. Do you know the essential ingredients in the gospel? If you know them, can you share them? Can you share them with compassion? with confidence, with clarity, with conviction, with anyone at any time, anywhere, that is where we're going today. So if you have a copy of God's word, whether it's physical or digital, I encourage you to open it up to Galatians chapter two, starting in verse 15. If you've been with us this fall, you know that we're in a series entitled Guilt-Free Christianity, Nine Steps to Freedom in Christ. And so let's do a quick review. Let's see where we have been this fall. Step number one, recognizing the simplicity of the gospel. Step two, understanding the significance of the gospel. Last week, embracing the freedom of the gospel. Today is sharing the essentials of the gospel. Give me a hand raise if you know someone who needs the hope of the gospel, who needs the hope of the good news of Jesus, a family member, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor. Give me a hand raise if you know somebody who needs the hope of the gospel. If your hand is raised, what I want you to do right now on your growth guide is I want you to write their first name at the top of your message notes. And then for their sake, for their sake, I encourage you to lean into this message to take notes. And so today we're going to be looking at four essentials of the gospel, four essentials for sharing the gospel. We're going to dive right in. So if you're taking notes, jot this down. Essential number one is that we are not justified by good works. Well, where do we see that? Well, we see that starting in verse 15. It says this, for we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Can't you see the pride that is dripping from these words? That we are Jews 
but we're not Gentile sinners. But isn't this attitude so prevalent in our culture today? That we puff ourselves up and we put others down, that we elevate self and we look down on others. For the Jews, it was their self-righteousness that we're better than others, that this attitude is wrong, unless you're a Cubs fan viewing a Sox fan. (laughs) Not much response at the 11 o'clock service. (laughs) But the attitude is, that attitude, that pride-filled, that self-righteous attitude is wrong. And it's wrong especially especially in the church. And so what Paul is doing is Paul is addressing this self-righteousness head on. This is where he's going in verse 16. Follow along. Notice the word justified used three times. So he's going to talk about justification being justified first. Justification is not by works of the law. So verse 16, yet we know that the person is not justified by works of the law. But now he flips it in a positive way, but through faith in Jesus Christ. But in case you weren't listening, church in Galatia, in case you weren't listening, high point, let me say it again. So we also have believed in, if through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith. In case you haven't been listening a third time, let me repeat it again. In Christ and not by works of the law, but because the works of the law, no one will be justified. The word justification is an interesting word. Uh, The word justification that we use in our everyday English language is very different from biblical justification. How do we use the word justification, justify in our everyday language? We justify ourselves to ourselves and we justify ourselves to others, right? And so we're guilty. We do something that we shouldn't do or we don't do what we should do. We're guilty, but we make excuses and we justify our actions. We convince ourselves, oh, what we did, it really wasn't that bad. And then we try to convince other people of the same. This is not biblical justification, Biblical justification is we're guilty on all counts before God, but God declares us not guilty. Can I get an amen for that? And so the word justification in the Bible is a legal term. It would be a term that would be used in the courtroom. That we are guilty of all charges, but God declares over us what we cannot declare for ourselves. God declares not guilty. That we're acquitted, that we are pardoned, that we are released, that we are set free. It's not just a reduced sentence, it's not just a delayed sentence. But the punishment is taken away completely and it's replaced with right standing. That's righteousness. Perhaps you've heard this, it said it this way, that justification, it can be defined as just as if I never sinned. 
That's justification. And because of justification, we can experience, we can live a guilt-free Christianity. So the Bible talks about justification, sanctification, glorification. Let's think about this together. Paul is talking about justification here in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. What's justification? Justification happens at the moment of salvation. That's when we are freed from the penalty of sin. That's what we're talking about. But then justification then leads to sanctification. It's the lifelong process of becoming like Jesus, where we are being freed from the power of sin. And someday in eternity, we will experience glorification. And this is being freed from the presence of sin. But until we get to heaven someday, we will be battling the power of sin in our life. So do you see this past, present, future? Past justification, present sanctification, future is glorification. But where does it all start? It all starts back with justification. This is when I place my faith in Jesus Christ. It happens at the moment of salvation. I'm justified. So in Galatians chapter 6 or 2 verse 16, Paul is drawing this contrast between being justified by good works and justified by faith in Jesus. So first Paul talks about that we are not justified by good works. If you were to uh, summarize what it means to be justified by good works in two letters, you could summarize it in these two letters, D-O do. And that's where the Jewish people were, is that they not only had 10 commandments that they needed to follow, but they had 613 commandments that they needed to follow. 265 thou shall not commands, and 365 thou shall commands. Anyone exhausted by that? But for the Jewish people, it was all about D-O, do. All world religions can be summarized with those same two letters, D-O. It's all about earning God's favor, following the rules, paying penance, improving ourselves, trying to please God. It's also what I believe is the popular culture in America today. It can be summarized with the same two letters, D-O that it's sufficient to volunteer at the animal shelter and to buy cookies from my local Girl Scout, to go to church occasionally. Things are good, but are they sufficient for salvation? No, this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying we're not justified by our good works, but instead we're justified by faith in Jesus. Notice Paul talks about this three times. Faith in Jesus, believed in Jesus Christ, faith in Christ. That the only way to be justified is through Jesus. Jesus is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The shocking thing isn't that there is only one way. The shocking thing is that there is a way. 
And so God has provided for us an opportunity to be justified, not by doing things, but about what he has done for us in his son, Jesus Christ. Do versus done. But the focus of this message isn't just knowing these things, but it's sharing these things. It's important for us as we seek to share the gospel in our culture today that we understand that the, the culture that we're living in. That our culture believes in justification by good works. I guarantee you no one is going to say that. Your neighbor and your coworker is not going to say that. They're not going to use those words. Instead, they'll say something like, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not that bad. I'm better than others. God's going to grade on a curve. When I was a freshman in high school, I took Algebra 1. I justified my actions thinking that all I needed to do was show up to class and turn in a few assignments. I didn't need to study for any tests. Surely I did enough to pass Algebra 1. I did not. I failed Algebra 1. And as much as I wanted to justify my actions and to blame my teacher for being unfair... How many of you would agree I failed Algebra 1 because of my own actions? This is decades ago. My feelings aren't hurt. How many of you would agree that I failed Algebra 1 because of my own actions? So you can understand how devastated and discouraged I was when I learned that taking Algebra 1 twice was not the same as Algebra 2. So as we're sharing the gospel, you can see that we need to understand the culture that we're in. Their culture believes that being good is good enough, right? We justify our own behavior. We believe that God is being unfair. But we're guilty. We're guilty because of our own actions. Being good is not good enough. Good people do not go to heaven. Good people do not go to heaven. Forgiven people, forgiven people go to heaven. So essential number one, it's so important that we understand this, that we're not justified by our own good works. We're not justified by doing good, by trying to be good. But we're justified by Jesus. Which leads us to essential number two. Essential number two is this, is that we are sinners who need a savior. And where do we see this in the text? Starting in verse 17. First, a question. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? And then here's the answer, certainly not. For if I am to rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. I prove myself to be a sinner. And so it's not about my works. It's not about me being good. Then verse 19, this is awesome. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. If you have a physical Bible, you have a pen, underline those words there. That I died to the law that I might live 
to God, that we are sinners and we need a savior. Can you imagine being in the middle of Lake Michigan by yourself? In the water, no life jacket. How many of you could dog paddle for a few seconds? Few of us, right? How many about a few minutes? How about a few hours? How about a few days? Eventually we're going under, right? Water's filling our lungs. At that point, we need a savior. In the same way, self-effort isn't enough. We need a savior. We can't save ourselves. If anyone could save themselves, who could save themselves? It would be the Apostle Paul. Think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was religious. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He had his doctorate in the law. He was even zealous for God. But even himself, he couldn't save himself. If anyone, if anyone could get there by being good or by following the law or by being religious, it would be Paul. He was the gold standard. But then Paul met Jesus. And everything changed. So as Paul is writing this in verse 19, he's looking back on his self-righteous, rule-driven self. And he's realizing how insufficient, how empty that is compared to living to God. And that's why he writes here that I'm dead to the law, but I'm alive to God. Rule following will always lead to a guilt-ridden, works-driven pseudo-Christianity. It always will. Rules will always fail us. Rule-keeping, why? Is it because the rules are bad? No, not necessarily. But outward behavior can't change what is most needed, and that is our hearts on the inside. That what the law does is the law shines a spotlight into our lives, and it shows us that we are sinners. So it proves to us that we're sinners, but it does not provide new life. That the law leaves us guilty, it leaves us guilt-ridden, not guiltless. But when we discover this guilt-free Christianity then we desire to live for God. That is what happened with the Apostle Paul, and that's what needs to happen for all of us, that we live to God, not because of religion, but because of relationship. Not because of duty, but because of devotion. Not because I have to, but because I want to. And so as we share the gospel with others, it's important for us to be able to communicate that we're all sinners and we need a savior. This last week in Hope Group, our topic was hope in the gospel. We were right here on this very topic in Hope Group. After Hope Group, I got a text from one of our leaders and she texted that when we were talking about the fact that we're all sinners, it was a trigger 
for an individual that was in her group. This individual had been abused as a young child. And every time she was beaten, she was told that she was a sinner. So the fact that we were talking about the fact that all are sinners, it was a trigger for what she had experienced decades before. If you're here today, in a room this size, it's not just one, it's many people. If you're here and you have experienced abuse, whether it's verbal, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, whether it's sexual abuse, my heart breaks for you. And breaks for what you experienced and for what you endured. I want you to know that you weren't the sinner you were sinned against. That you weren't the one that did wrong. You were wronged. That you didn't deserve to be abused. It's not your fault. You are not what was done to you. You were not the sinner. You were sinned against. That said, God's word tells us that all are sinners including the Apostle Paul, who even in his self-righteousness said that he was chief amongst all sinners. We're all sinners, including Mother Teresa, including Billy Graham, including me, including you. So if you're here today and you're exploring the Christian faith, we're so glad uh, that you're here. We talk about that we want to help people believe and belong to and become like Jesus. And maybe you're at this starting point and you're trying to figure out if you believe in Jesus or not. This is a safe place to come and to be yourself and to ask your questions. We welcome them. But I can't think of a better message for you to come to it to at least consider these things that we're talking about here today. That we can't justify ourselves by our good works. Being good is not good enough that we're all sinners and we need a savior, which leads to essential number three. This is awesome. Jot this down, that we can have new life through Christ. Amen? Amen. Galatians 2.20 is perhaps the most popular verse in the whole book of Galatians. It would be one of my life verses. Galatians 2.20 says that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is this not an amazing verse? And so let's think about this. Let's break it down phrase by phrase. I've been crucified with Christ. That's past tense. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's present tense. And the life that I now live, even into the future, I live by faith. In who? In the Son of God. And who is the Son of God? The Son of God is the one who loves me. And he gave himself for me. At the heart of Galatians 2.20 is that of identity. 
Do you know about these new driver's license? They're called the Real ID. It's the uh, Illinois driver's license, but if you get the gold star in it, it's a Real ID. Anybody have the Real ID? Few of us have the Real ID. I hope that you understand that the Real ID is not your Real ID. Your real ID is not where you're from, where you live. Your real ID is not your height and your weight. How many of you are grateful for that? Your real ID is not the color of your hair, the color of your eyes, the color of your skin. Your real ID is not your real ID. Your real ID is not your accomplishments and your possessions and your title. Your real ID is not the things that you do. Your real ID is not just even your worst moment, your biggest regret, your worst mistake. That's not your real ID. Like I said, your real ID is not what you do, but it's also not what was done to you. Your real ID is who God says that you are. Your real ID is who you are in Christ. And that's what this verse is talking about. This verse is talking about our identity. And so through new life in Christ, we're giving a new identity. We have a new identity that we are in Christ, but we also have a new power that Christ is in me. That both of these things are important for us to understand that it's not just that we're in Christ and now we have right standing before God justification, but that Christ is in us and he has given us the power for right living. So it's not about self-effort. It's not about self-help, but it's about allowing God to live in us and to live through us. That the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is alive in you and gives you the power as we think about this journey of sanctification, gives you the power to become like Jesus, to being set free from the power of sin. It's not yours doing, but it's Jesus Christ in you. At the heart At the heart of Galatians 2.20 is our identity. So we don't live for our identity, but we live from our identity. That we're not abandoned, that we're accepted and we're adopted. That we're not rejected, but we're redeemed. That we're not a victim, but we're a victor. That we're not our past, but we're a new creation in Christ. That we're not alone, but we are loved. That we are not guilty, but we can experience guilt-free Christianity. When we embrace, when we embrace our identity in Christ. And when we live from our identity So here at High Point, we often talk about the ABCs of the gospel. What are the ABCs of the gospel? The ABCs of the gospel is to admit that you're a sinner. We already talked about that. To believe that Jesus Christ died. That's where we're at right here, Galatians 2.20. By faith, believing in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
that he died and that he rose again, that he offers life and forgiveness. But then it's C, it's to choose or to confess Jesus as our Lord. Have you done that? Can you point to a time where you turn from your sin and you embrace Christ by faith for the forgiveness of your sin? Do you have assurance of your salvation here in this place, in this moment? What's your faith story? For me, it was July of 1987. I was raised in a Christian home. I went to youth group, but being good isn't good enough. I'm a sinner and I needed a savior. And it was then summer of 1987, that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I embraced him by faith for myself. Not because of my parents, not because of my church. I did so because of myself. Your grandma can't save you. Your spouse can't save you. Your friend can't save you. Your church can't save you. Even you can't save yourself. Only Jesus saves, but we need to respond to him in faith, have you done that for yourself? How do I do that? Well, it's as simple as just praying a prayer. It needs to be a reflection of your heart, but it's following along with what we just talked about here. I admit that I'm a sinner. Most of us can admit that. I'm guilty. But then it's saying, God, I believe in your son, and I choose to confess him as my Lord. And so why don't we just pause right here in this message. Let's just bow our heads. Maybe you're here today and you're exploring the Christian faith. Maybe God is ripening your heart and you're here and you don't yet know that you are saved and you want to have that assurance. I'd encourage you just in your own words, in your mind, in your thoughts, talk to God but maybe you can just pray along with me. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm guilty. I know that I can't save myself. I believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. I believe that Jesus Christ offers life and forgiveness and he offers this gift and I want to receive this gift. And so I confess Jesus as Lord as best as I know how. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If that is you, if you prayed something similar to that, welcome to the family. It's welcome people to the family. Maybe you're here in person, maybe you're online and God's working in your heart. Tell somebody about that. Tell somebody who you came to church with today. Uh, Talk to myself or Pastor CJ out in the lobby. We want to be able to celebrate with you. And so here we are, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It's all about the gospel. It's all about our identity. Oftentimes we think the gospel is the ABCs of the faith. And it is, but that's just the starting point. The gospel is not only the starting point, the gospel is the Christian life. So the gospel isn't just the ABCs, but the gospel is the A to Z and that we live the gospel because Jesus Christ is in us and he lives through us. 
which leads us to essential number four. Still tracking? Jot this down, essential number four, that we are in desperate need of God's grace. How true is that? Let's close out this passage with this verse, verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, he comes back to that topic, then Christ died for no purpose. If we can save ourselves, then Jesus' death is in vain. If being good is good enough, why is it that Jesus needed to die and rise again? Doing so serves no purpose. And to believe this would be to nullify, circle that word in your Bible, to nullify the grace of God. What does the word nullify mean? It means to cancel. We live in cancel culture. Jesus has been canceled in our culture. Why has Jesus been canceled in our culture? Because Jesus doesn't represent the concept of what people want in a God. And so rather than dealing with Jesus, let's just cancel Jesus. Let's nullify God's grace. But we don't need to nullify God's grace. We are in desperate need of God's grace. And not just us here in this space. Yes, we're in desperate need of God's grace. But so are our family members, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors. The person that you wrote down at the beginning of this message is in desperate need of God's grace. God has given us a voice. God has given us proximity. God has given us influence. We need to use our voice. We need to use our proximity. We need to use our influence to share about the grace of God with others. Well, how do I share the grace of God? How do I share the gospel? I've been tracking. I've been taking notes. How do I do this? Share the essentials of the gospel. How do I go about doing it? Can you start by sharing your own faith story? Can you share the ABCs of the faith much like what I did or better yourself? Could you invite somebody to come to church? I know most people, when they think about church, they think about Christianity, they think about being guilt-ridden, but that's not my church at all. I go to a church that we're talking about having a guilt-free Christianity. I want you to be able to experience something different. Come to church with me sometime. If God has given you a voice and given you Proximity has given you influence. Are we using it to share about the grace of God? How can we share the essentials of the faith with others? Here at High Point, some of the best faith stories that we have heard have come from the baptism tank that's over here to my right, to your left. The tank is empty right now, but next week it's going to be full. And I think about the story in the book of Acts where uh, Philip was with the Ethiopian and the Ethiopian said to Philip, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've not yet been baptized, next week is your opportunity to take that important step of faith and obedience. Well, what is the step of faith and obedience that it's to testify about God's grace in your life? 
for you to be able to share your faith story. As someone's in the baptism tank, they're standing, then they're lowered, then they're raised. You're identifying with Jesus, that Jesus was crucified, buried, and that he was risen again. But that's also your story, that I was a sinner in need of a savior. I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but I've been forgiven. And I've been raised to new life. I'm experiencing this new life. Christ in me, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so if you're here and you're a believer and you've not yet been baptized, talk to me after the service. We'd love to get you the information. On your message notes, you can see there's a QR code that you can go there for some information as well. But that's an opportunity for you to share the gospel, for you to be able to share your faith. Well, we've talked a lot in this message. We've discovered a lot in this message. We started with essential ingredients for cookies. And as amazing, as awesome as this jar of awesomeness is, it doesn't compare to the essentials of the gospel. Amen? And so we've looked at four essential ingredients in the gospel Let's just review these as the worship team comes forward right now. Let's just review these. If you're taking notes, it's review. If you miss taking notes, here's your opportunity to cram. That we are not justified by good works, that we're sinners who need a savior. We have new life. We can have new life through Christ. And we are in desperate need of God's grace. Four essentials, four essentials of the gospel, four essentials of sharing the gospel. Here on the screen, you're going to see the sermon in a sentence. You can see that the words, we have been changed to I. So let's just make this personal. Let's read this together aloud. Uh, Everyone together aloud, let's uh, read this. When I, I let, they are, They can, and they, and so if we believe this church, if we know the essentials of the gospel, let's share the essentials of the gospel. Who do you need to share with? Maybe it's the person you wrote down on your sheet. Maybe God's bringing someone else to mind or will bring someone else into your life this week. And then how will you share Maybe it's your story. Maybe it's the gospel. Maybe it's inviting them to church. Encourage you just to take a moment just to pray. The worship team is here and is going to start singing over us. But what would you pray about? We'll pray that people uh, would respond to the gospel, that they would experience the hope of the gospel that you have experienced. And pray that God would give you an opportunity. And if he gives you an opportunity, that you would open up your mouth that you would be able to share the gospel with compassion, with confidence, with clarity, with conviction. So pray for somebody else, a loved one who needs to know the gospel, but then pray for yourself. The worship team's gonna sing over us about God's grace that we so desperately need. And then as you're done praying, you can stand and respond. And so let's pray.